You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Left to restart the game. And this one carrying into the end zone about four yards deep. Here comes Dixon to the five. Left hash marks 10, 15. Hits a hole hard. He's to the 25 30. Breaks into the clear. Keyshawn Nixon is off to the races. It's Secretary of the Belmont. Down the split. No one will catch him. It's a touchdown. My goodness. Came into the game. Wayne punched the ball with a groin injury. Didn't practice all week. But he just took it right off the gut. Through the heart of the Minnesota Viking coverage unit. What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. If you want to text the show, you can send a text message to 865-658-5824. Today, we're going to kind of talk a little bit of old line. You know, camp's about to kick off. A lot of people are are trying to decide, hey, what's this old line gonna gonna look like when healthy? You know, uh, is, is it gonna be Elton Jenkins at right tackle? Are they gonna keep him at left guard? Is it gonna be Tom at right tackle? Is it gonna be Yash at right tackle? Um, is you know is center an o, a a position that's uh, that's up for a camp battle? All those things, right? So what I thought we would do, I heard a really really cool segment on Wildy and Tausch. Uh, obviously, Jason Wildy's covered the team. Uh, since the mid-90s, to the best of my understanding. <clears throat> and uh, Mark uh, Tauscher is his, his co-host, who obviously played for the Packers for so long. Um, so he's got some offensive line insight. But what's cool is, uh, you know, Tauscher, uh, as they give him a hard time with, taking a little bit of time off uh, this time of year before football season gets kicked, up, uh, kicked off. So what they did was they had in Brian Bulaga. And Brian Bulaga came in and kind of co-hosted with Jason Wildy. And I want to say Jason Wildy did a phenomenal job, an absolutely phenomenal. And some of you may not like Wildy. Some of you may love him. <clears throat> I know this. I don't agree with all of his takes. Um, I'm, I guarantee you he don't agree with mine. Probably doesn't even know who I am. I, I, I promise you that. But I just appreciate the fact that he brings people like this in because it gives us insight. And, and Wildy's really quick to say, just like I am, like, hey, look, I'm not a – I've never, uh, you know, played offensive line. I've never been in the NFL. I don't, I don't understand all the nuances. So what do you do? You bring in people that do, right? So let's do this. Let's just kind of go to the tape here. I'm going to share uh, my screen, and like I said, this is from Wildy and Tausch. Definitely want to give them credit for all this um, and the work they did. It's just a 10 minute clip, and we're going to pause it, uh, you know, throughout just to kind of explain the details when it comes to this Matt Lafleur offense and, and really what. Um, Brian Bulaga is talking about here. And, and for those of you, you know, who, who may not know, I'm sure you do. Brian Bulaga was a first round pick for the Green Bay Packers out of Iowa. Um, great offensive lineman, obviously finished uh, his career elsewhere, I believe in Denver, if I remember correctly. And um, just a, a great guy, very well spoken, understands everything about offensive line play. So let's kind of go to it here and see what he had to say as far as this offensive line. And again, we're going to pause it throughout uh, to give you a little break and give a little bit of opinion on what he's saying and how it may affect the Green Bay Packers, and more specifically, Jordan Love. So I tweeted this out, uh, tagged them and everything. Obviously, uh, they get all the credit for this work. Uh, unbelievable job. But it says, this is the kind of content I'm constantly looking for. Jason Wildy and Brian Balaga absolutely crushed this segment on the Packers' offensive line and how it may affect Jordan Love. Here we go. Hates O-line slander. It is me. Like yep. it, I, I do not like it because, like, 
a lot of the time people will slam offensive linemen. They don't really know what they're looking at. They don't understand what the tape's showing or, or what assignment could be this or that. I happen to know uh, the Packers' X's and O's in the scheme. I played in it. I'm very familiar with it. I know what the expectations are of Steno, Butkus, and LaFleur for the offensive linemen. I know the jobs. I, I can watch the the games and the tape and, and have a pretty good understanding of what the play is and what they're doing, right? Like, I, I'm pretty well-versed in it. And I just feel like this is such a big year for those three guys. Like, it is such a big year. So much of and, – and I hate to put it all on one – one or two guys, but a lot of this offensive production is going to come from how these three guys perform. Like, it really is. Like, you can't have three guys out of the five underperforming and have the offense clicking. Like, it just it doesn't happen that way, right? And with so many things that need to be accounted for with a new quarterback and really young wide receivers, like, you need your offensive line to be playing well. Like, you need those guys to be a solid foundation. Uh, at least, hey, we could start here. We can run the ball. We know we can do this. If there's question marks, can we run the ball? Can we pass block? Can we hold up on this? Can we hold up on that? That is not good. Like, it's just not good. And what concerns me about it really is if it doesn't start going well, right? Like, if it starts off and it's rough, then do you start moving Elton around? to sure up something like do you start moving Elton to right tackle or do you move him to right guard so that you have two solid pieces with Dave and Elton on each side like it worries me because that's when things really start to go a little haywire right when you start moving guys out of positions to solidify one spot but then you're weakening one spot so to me it's the biggest question mark on offense like I get it it's Jordan Love. He's new quarterback and, and all that. But, like, Jordan Love is not is going to struggle if those guys in front of him don't perform. And that's just the way it's going to go. Like, it's hard to make a really good evaluation of Jordan Love if three out of the five guys, especially the whole right side of the offensive line, is having a hard go at it, game in and game out. Like, that's really hard because you're changing protections. You're changing schemes. You're really having to – alter things in the offense to account for that. So um, the development of those three guys this offseason and the training camp into the season is something that I'm going to be looking out for. Obviously, I say the biggest, uh, you know, question mark because I'm an offensive lineman and I do, I that's what I look at. I'm not a quarterback guru. I get Jordan Love's a first-year starter technically, and that's the big – all right, I apologize. I just, I just realized my mic was muted when I when I paused this last time, so I apologize for that dead air. Um, hopefully you're still around <laughs> on the pod. What I was saying is there's so much that goes into playing quarterback, so much more than people want to you know accept and admit that it's not to say that Jordan Love is going to fail and he can't do these things, but what Brian Bulag is pointing out is you know there are so many things that go into the line checks. There's so many things that go into what Aaron Rodgers did when he was the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Right. Uh, you know, he, he he talks about a little bit later on of, of how he communicated with Corey Lindsley. Right. It's not just understanding the route concepts. It's not just, you know, 
uh, running a play action pass and, and hammering a deep dig or or making a two read or splitting the field splitting the field down the middle and saying okay if they're showing too high on this side and uh, and you know and too high on the other or right, where's the late rotation forget all that let's just talk the running game okay and that's what this episode is going to be about let's just talk the running game when you when you get to the point where you understand and and I don't understand it completely we're just kind of scratching the surface right. When you get to the point where you understand just how many types of running schemes there are within this Matt LaFleur offense, and then you talk about all of the line calls that go into it, just one play. Guys, just duo. We'll talk about duo here in a minute. And it's kind of the the uh I don't know what to say here, the 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 white uh, the white buffalo, right? No one truly understands what duo is. And it's because there's some little nuances that go in and out of each team's scheme. Um, you know, every team might do it a little bit different. You can get kind of this global grasp of what duo is, but just within duo, you've got like seven, 10, 11 different calls. You got like five or six on the back side, or five or six on the front side, and you got like four or five on the back side. All these things the quarterback has to completely understand. And yes, the center can help with that, but the quarterback, if if the quarterback doesn't completely understand exactly what line calls to make, and I'm not saying that Jordan doesn't, I'm just trying to give you an idea of all of the details that go into playing quarterback, especially with the running game. There's many things that Josh Myers leaned on Aaron Rodgers for setting those protections, right? And we we just got to hope that one of two things happen or both in a perfect scenario. Josh Myers rises to the occasion and understanding everything about this running scheme and being able to get his guys in the right place to to have the best leverage, whether it's duo, whether it's outside zone, inside zone, pin and pull, counter, whatever whatever the play is, right? And if if he can't, then can Jordan help him with that? He's got three years in the system. He should be able to. Let's hope he does. And it's it's what we talk about with Greg Cosell saying we just don't know. Anyone who says we know what Jordan Love is going to be, good or bad, they're kidding themselves because he just don't know. The Green Bay Packers don't even know. You know, they've got the best idea of what Jordan can be, right? But until we get into the game and those checks have to be made, and, and oh, by the way, the other team's getting paid too, and they're trying to counter your moves, we don't know, right? So, uh, like I said, let's go back to Bulaga here and let him finish up. That's the national big question mark. But I look at it, what's what's in front of him? And that's that offensive line. And I know what I'm going to get out of Dave. I know what I'm going to get out of Elton. You're going to get really good play. It's the other three spots that is what I'm looking forward to seeing. And um, the talent's there. I think the talent is there. Like, you see flashes of all these guys. They can all do it, but it's consistency. It's continuing to do it game in, game out, play after play. And not everyone's going to be perfect every play. Nobody is. But um, it's minimizing those mistakes as much as possible so that, you know, you can rely on them to run the ball to the right side. You can rely on them to block one-on-one for 30 times a game. Like, those are things that you have to be able to do in the NFL. And to have a successful offense, your offensive linemen need to be able to go one-on-one for a good chunk of the game. They have to. That's that's the only way to do it. All right, I want to talk one more thing about that because coming up next we're going to talk about running backs and the 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 formula that we're expecting the Packers to follow to make Jordan Love's life easier and ease him into the starting role is to run the ball a lot and then protect yep. him well so he can make the 
rudimentary, easy throws and not expect him to be Favre or Rodgers and make all the plays and carry the offense. So that means counting on the running backs, who we'll get to, and it means counting on the offensive line. But here's one subtlety that I thought was really interesting. And again, I love it when guys are a little bit vulnerable and honest about themselves. And, you know, as you went on in your career and you actually started liking talking with us and you won a Tom Mulhern Award and everything else, I learned, you know, you would you would open up like that a little bit too. But Josh Myers made what I thought was a startling admission to me during the offseason program, and that was that now that Aaron Rodgers is gone, his safety net for making the offensive line calls is also gone, and that he would screw him up and Aaron would fix him. And now oh, yeah. he doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. And so that is one of those kind of sinker. Now he's in a sinker swim moment with that, and he admitted that that makes him a little nervous, frankly. Which I appreciate his honesty. Yeah. That's what I want from yeah. guys. But yeah. if that's the case, and you got Jordan Love back there, and he's not ready as a first year starter to say no, 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 and fix the protection call that you got wrong, um, that could be a challenge for this offensive line group. All right. So what Woody was outlining there. And, and again, kudos to Josh Myers for being honest and saying that. He's talking about how he tried to put the Packers in a position, you know, with his line calls, and then Aaron would catch a mistake and go, no, no, change that, right? You know, we all heard the infamous snap the effing ball, Josh, right? <laughs> Live on, and, and, of course, Tony Romo being so quick-witted immediately said, oh, what he's saying is, that, uh, hey, guys, we need, to, we need to hurry here. Like, they're trying to set the protection or the run scheme, right, and make the line adjustments. And then on top of that, they're trying to hit a certain snap count. And, and that's what's so funny is we get we get fans that are like, oh, well, this isn't Matt LaFleur's offense because they wait to the last second to snap the ball. Of course, they want the defense to tip their hand, and then they've got to make their line calls. You know, immediately people – the only thing they talk about are the hand signals, which, by the way, there are some who have somehow convinced themselves – that Aaron Rodgers is the only quarterback that's ever used hand signals and that Jordan Love is not going to use hands. The, the secret hand signals are gone. Guys, you're you're setting yourself up to be depressed this year, okay? Like, when Aaron wasn't in OTAs last year, guess who led the hand signal room? It was Jordan Love. You can bet your rear end Jordan Love's going to have hand signals too. And, yes, they're secret hand signals. They're darn sure not going to be public. Like, you got this is something that goes goes on all the way across the NFL. It wasn't just specific to Aaron Rodgers. Like I'm going to go in here and change the game, and we're going to have my secret hand signals, and you guys better catch on, guys. This has been hammered into this team all off season. There's there's different levels of installation of the offense and signals and O line calls and all that. You know what he was talking about with O line calls. Um, let me just kind of give you an example here, okay? Here's the analytics. Here's the, st the statistics of what running plays. Forget the passing game, okay? Let's go back to 1920. Let's just focus on the running game. This is what the Green Bay Packers ran in 2021. Outside zone, 36% of the time. That is the absolute staple of the Matt LaFleur offense. <clears throat> the Shanahan tree, all of that is outside zone run, right? We've talked about the history of it. We won't go into all the details, but again, People have somehow convinced themselves that this wasn't Matt LaFleur's offense, okay? They ran outside zone 36% of the time. That was tied for the fifth most in the entire National Football League, okay? Inside zone, they ran it 23% of the time. That was tied for 13th, right? Now, if you'll notice, the year before, in my opinion, 
that's when they really started leaning on Duo. You know, Duo has been in the game for a long time, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but they really started to lean on Duo uh, in 2021. Why? Because teams started to take away the outside zone, right? So you've got the inside zone at 23%, tied for 13th in the league. They had pin and pull. They ran that 14% of the time. 14% of the time they ran the ball. It was pin and pull concept. That was tied for third most in the NFL. Duo was ran 11% of the time, 24th in the league, which shows you they stepped a little bit away from Duo last year, but still ran it over 10% of their running game. Okay, They ran counter 6% of the time. They ran power 2% of the time. Some people are going, power? That's not this scheme. Exactly. You, at week in and week out, you're looking at your, your not only your self-scouting, but you're scouting your opponent and going, okay, what do they do good? What do they do bad? Where's the weak spot on their roster? Where's the weak spot on their front? All of these things, right? They And, of course, they ran uh, halfback draws 1% of the time. That was 25th in the league. They really got away from the draw play last year. And I think one thing that you will notice with Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon this year is when they play gun, and yes, guys, they're still going to play gun. I know people think that all of a sudden this is just going directly under center. They actually, if I read it correctly, um, they played they played shotgun less than half of the entire league. And people go, well, not less than half of that Shanahan system. Okay, so go look and see how much the L.A. Rams were in shotgun last year. I mean, it was something crazy and shotgun 11 personnel, right? So, you know, everything is very fluid. That's what I was talking about the other day with the tweet I sent out saying, man, it's amazing how people, thousands of people can watch and listen to the same information presented to them and only one or two will come away with something totally different. And they're convinced that whoever did that podcast is telling it wrong or they just didn't want to hear what was said on the podcast. I'm referring to the play callers on the play callers. Every single coach talked about how they change this offense as they branch out. And it's not necessarily like I want to do it different as much as it is where is the league going, right? And, you know, you talk about how Miami's offense was personnel-wise was very much like Shanahan in San Francisco, but they they passed a lot more and ran a lot more motion than San Francisco. Some people are going, what? Yeah, absolutely. McVay, who likes to lean on 11 personnel, went gun-heavy 11 personnel, right? In Green Bay, we actually stepped back and ran more 12 personnel last year, which is exactly why I was screaming at the top of my lungs, this is Matt LaFleur's offense. It People like to pick and choose and go, okay, 2019 was Matt LaFleur's offense. 2020 was Matt LaFleur's offense. 2021 was Matt LaFleur's offense. Then all of a sudden in 2022, we're not running Matt LaFleur's offense because we didn't win 13 games. And, and in all honesty, in 2019 was a hybrid offense. In 2020 was a hybrid offense. In 2021, we started to lean a little bit more into the, the conceptual aspect of Matt LaFleur's offense. But again, we had that, you know, one-two combination, that one-two punch with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. So they leaned on the isolation game, the X isolation game, the boundary X isolation game with RPOs and basically giving Devontae Adams the freedom to run what route he wants to run at any point in the game, right? The same thing they're doing in Kansas City with Travis Kelsey. And everybody likes to pretend like in Kansas City, it's like, well, they're running their scheme. They're sticking to their scheme. No, they, guys, everything week to week, varies. It's such a fluid situation. You know, I was hearing Greg Cosell talk about the other day how all of a sudden people were like, oh man, Kansas City figured out how to beat quarters because they, you know, beat the the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe it was, right? Because they run this quarters coverage. 
And and Greg Cosell laughed and was like, guys, these these quarters beaters have been here the entire time. What did they do? They actually ran a lot of rap concept, but what they allowed was they sent three verts and then allowed Kelsey to run option routes underneath, which nine times out of ten was that dig route that was somehow always open. They would flex him out to the boundary. They'd put him in the slot. They'd move him all over the place. And the goal was stretch the field vertically, and you cl- you basically walk those that quarter's coverage deep, and then you attack it underneath. You know, some people refer to that as a dagger concept. There's a, a ton of different names for it, but that, that's I just want to point out. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then an eighth, which was listed as other at like two percent. There's eight different styles, different schemes of running plays that the Green Bay Packers ran in 2022. And that's why it's so important to have a veteran quarterback who understands the line calls, where he can bail his offensive line out. He can bail his center out in times of need. Okay. And again, I'm not saying that Jordan Love can do that. I'm not saying he can't do that. I do know this, the fact that he spent three years on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers, somehow in the mainstream media, they paint that out to be a negative thing. Like, well, if he was good enough, he would have unseated Aaron Rodgers. He would have unseated the four-time MVP, two of which, two of those three years, which were actual MVP years. You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy if you think he was going to unseat him during those years. Aaron has a down year, in my opinion. In my opinion, I'm not saying I'm right, but in my opinion, it was because of a broken thumb, bruised up ribs, an injured offensive line, and a receiving core that led the league in drops. Those play a huge role into Aaron Rodgers' quote-unquote decline, right? Now, we come back this year, we've got a 100% healthy offensive line, and what Bulaga's pointing out is the right side, that's what concerns him, and more specifically, the center position in Josh Myers. Um, all those things are going to come into factor, and – I just don't want people judging Jordan Love the way they did Aaron Rodgers last year when there's mistakes being made all around him. Jordan Love can come out and play flawless, but if the right side of the offensive line struggles and the receivers lead the league in drops, then, (laughs) you know, are we going to sit here and go, yep, he's a bust. I'm not going to be. If he comes out and has 20 touchdowns and 12 interceptions and I'm looking at the tape going, "There's there's other aspects of this offense that's struggling, and that's that's really bleeding into his game. Then then you can look at Jordan Love and try to isolate his production and go, okay, what did he actually do when things went right? When things broke down, how did he handle it? That's important too. I'm not suggesting that he should only have to play quarterback in the perfect storm. I'm not saying that. Um, but there's just a lot to this running game. Let's go back to uh, Brian Belaga real quick. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't want to say that Aaron never corrected Corey because he did, right? Like. Sure, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Corey was wrong on his call, right? Like, but maybe Aaron wanted something else, right? right. So, like, yep. he would he would change Corey, or or maybe Corey did miss something, and he'd correct Corey. Like, okay, but it it was not very often. We'll just put it that way. Corey did not uh, Corey didn't miss much. We'll just put it that way, and he still doesn't miss much. I was with him in L.A. for a year. He still doesn't miss much. Right. Um, very good. Like I said before, when I was talking about the center position, it is probably pre-snap the most important position besides the quarterback on the field, right? Like, and Jordan Love, he's been in the system for a while, and he's been around Aaron. He's seen the way Aaron operates and how Aaron does things and looks at things, and they're in meetings together. But we're going to get into week one, right? 
And Jordan Love is going to be thinking about some other things besides the protection calls and potential pressure packages and and seeing those things. He's going to be worried about coverages right. and making sure that his uh, his checks at the line of scrimmage are good between run and pass or flipping a run or this or that. Like, correcting the center call probably isn't going to be on his top two things to do when he walks up to the line of scrimmage. So that needs to be something that is uh, for sure – uh, we'll just say that that needs to be corrected in training camp. And and listen, for for Myers to admit that, hey, you know what? Hats off to him being brutally honest. Um, but you know this is his year that he's got to step up. He's got to step up. You got to take control of that thing. Um, what that means for him studying and doing. I'm not saying he doesn't study because he he's a center. They all do. But what he does, what he needs to do a little bit extra to make sure that he is spot on with all those things, that's between him and Butkus and Steno. Like those guys got to get that corrected because the last thing you want to do is put even more on Jordan Love to have to make these corrections up front. Because listen, the tackles and the guards they're not making corrections for the center, right? Like if there's something that a tackle sees or a guard sees, he can tell the center, but the center doesn't have right. to say yes or no to it. Like, he can completely blow it off and be like, no, we're good. Let's stay, let's stay with this call. So, and, but then if you're on the road and you're, you're in a hostile situation, the tackles and guards aren't making checks and corrections, right? Like, it's not happening. Um, first of all, if a tackle tried to make a check, it would never get relayed back down the line to the other side, right? right? Like, right. it's just not happening. It's a long game so, of telephone. Yes, exactly. So, like, it's on the center to see these things and make the correction. Obviously, if Jordan sees something, he's going to make the check, walk up the line, it'll get spread out. But if he hears a call and, you know, I mean, you've got to trust in your teammates. That's football 101 is trust your teammates. He makes a call and he thinks the center's correct and he rolls with it and it happens to not be correct, you know, that's when things start to compound and issues start to happen. So um, I'm hoping that gets sorted, right? I hope that gets sorted. I mean, experience obviously is going to help with that center position and being in this scheme for another year and, and seeing a lot of things. But, um, yeah, that's – to me – that, that that's an issue that I hope gets solved. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase.
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so again, that was Brian Bulaga on uh, Wildey and Tausch with Jason Wildey. Excellent job by Jason Wildey. Absolutely crushed it. Um, let's do this. Let's kind of uh, let's step back a little bit. You know, there was a lot to unpack there. We tried to cover it as we went. Again, I apologize for the dead spot there. Had my mic muted. Had no idea. I was spilling my guts out, telling you guys from my heart and soul, and nobody could even hear it. But um, all of these different types of runs. Right. Outside zone, inside zone, pin and pull, duo, counter, power, draw, everything. Right. It was all included in the 2022 Green Bay Packers running game. All right. And and some people were going, well, it can't be that, it, you know, it, it can't be that difficult. Right. You hear Brian Bulaga putting, you know, trying to hammer home the point of Jordan Love. If he he, he needs to have this stuff taken off his plate. OK, who do you lean on at center? You guys have heard me say, you know, I consider center a position of tier two importance, right? Like you've on offense, it's quarterback left tackle in tier one and tier two. Some people refer to those as quote unquote premier positions. I like to use two, two tiers because I believe there are two tiers that are more important than everything else. Tier one, the most important quarterback left tackle tier two center and wide receiver in my opinion. Okay. Now when you look at the center position, it's why it's so important. That center can bail a young quarterback out, just like Aaron was bailing out that center, that young center last year, right? So when you talk about how complex the run schemes are, people talk about duo all the time, and, and there's a hilarious conversations that take place on Twitter, and they'll refer to it as, is it zone or is it duo, right? And, and everybody's laughing because it's so hard because duo looks so much like inside zone running. OK, let me just kind of explain to you what duo is. And I've been studying, guys, I didn't I didn't sit back and go, this is what I think duo is. This is me studying like three or four different coaches, offensive line coaches, offensive coordinators, coaching clinics, breaking down what duo is. And I just want to kind of give you a glimpse of how complex the run scheme can be at times and why it's important to understand how important Josh Myers is to this offensive line and calling out these checks at the line and setting protections and all those things. All right. So let's just kind of start. What is duo duo is a vert. What I, the best way I know, know to describe it is vertical power. Okay. When you think of a power play, you've got a pulling guard that's going to jump a pulling guard or a tackle in some cases, they'll, they'll pull over a gap or two, Right, and try to get to the next level, either sill off the edge or get to the next level. Since we don't have a lot of fullback play like we did back in the Mike Wall days, you guys know I've interviewed Mike Wall, and he was, I, I actually showed one specific play where he was the pulling guard, sealed off the inside, and William Henderson kicked out, was the lead blocker. This was out of like a 22 eye set um, way back in the day in the early 2000s. Um, that's what you call power, right? And you can run counter and, and, you know, and, and weak side pulling, all that stuff. But when it comes to duo, Think of vertical power, okay? You're not jumping over a gap as, as a double team or getting to the second level. You're double teaming to the second level. So the best way I know to describe it is vertical power. It's downhill. It's fast hitting. It's gap scheme. It's double team base. It's no puller. It's just kind of straight at you, physically imposing, 
we're gonna we're gonna ram the ball down your freaking throat, and we're gonna do it uh, to to get vertical displacement and move the D line downfield. We're gonna branch off. We're gonna attack the linebacker. Okay, and and that's kind of how duo operates. And and understand. These are to the step, guys, the technique that's involved with just duo. Forget outside zone, inside zone, pin and pull, counter, draw, power, all that. This is just duo. All of the things that it takes to, to be schematically sound from a fundamental standpoint to make this work, right? And, and you've got – I mean, think about this. When it comes to line calls, depending on what you know, how the front looks – you can have this many line calls, and I'm going to use the terminology that a coach that I've been talking to a lot here lately used on one of his latest uh, coaching clinics. On the front side of the play, right, the play side, the front side, there are one, two, three, four, five, six different line calls they have. You've got ace, you've got doom, you've got tram, you've got quad, you've got sort, you've got lane. On the back side, you've got four different ones. You've got lane, you've got sig, you've got secure, and you've got fan. Now you're going, what in the heck are you talking about, Clayton? I'm glad you asked. Let's let's kind of outline what each of these mean. On the front side calls, okay, ace, it means it's a double tween, a, a double team between the uh the center and the play side guard to the wheel linebacker. So they're basically blocking the center. It's a double team that's designed to block uh, with the center and the play side guard are going to double team all the way to the wheel backer. What's doom? They're going to double team between the play side guard and the play side tackle to the mic linebacker. Don't worry about what the mic and the wheel is right now, okay? It's it's not a, that important. I just want to explain to you the complexity with within these line calls. Tram, double team between the play side tackle and the tight end to the mic linebacker. Quad. Double team between the tight end and the wing. Sort, a call for the tight end, number two, number one, uh, T-O, sort the E-M-L-O-S. Think about this terminology. This is one team, guys. The Packers may call it something totally different. Plus one to the SAM and support player based on alignment. Then you've got Lane, a solo block, which is primarily for the play side guard versus heavy 2-I, which is a technique we talk about, the defensive line of the 2-I tech and a potential tight end, number two, number three, versus the inside alignment with no help. Those are your front side calls, all right? Now, again, the Packers may not refer to it as ace, doom, tram, quad, sort, and lane, right? They may call it something. They may have cheese names. They may, they may call it Sargento, Cheddar, Kobe, Monterey. Who knows what they call it, right? Now, it may be as common that that's what people refer to these as. I doubt it because as they're calling these off at the line, and this is the terminology they use within the huddle or or whatever, um, the other team, you know, they're probably listening in as well. So they've probably got – they may even have a numerical system. Who knows? Uh, the uh, Let's go to the backside calls. You've got lane, which is basically a solo base block, right? You've got SIG, overlap double team between the, uh, the center – and the play side guard to the minus one, okay? Secure, center securing the backside A gap up to negative one versus the play side two I, all right? And then fan, call made to abort BS double team, which is the backside double teams, to fan to walk up the minus one linebacker to the backside. And they're obviously talking about really what the goal is is to steal gaps. You're trying to steal gaps in the running game. That's essentially what it is. All right. So let's kind of talk about, you know, as we talked about those each line calls, 
you know, some of you guys are going, well, how, how do they know where to line up? How do they know uh, where the play side is, where this is, where that is? It all comes down to fronts and formations. Okay, so let me just kind of give you a glimpse into the fronts they face, right, and, and kind of how that comes about. When you talk about the defensive fronts, um, you got to understand how defense, defensive fronts are communicated, and that's a big piece in being able to even talk talk the same la- language in the NFL or at any level of football. It could be college football. It could be high school, all those things. There's basically faint, uh, five main types of fronts in the NFL. You've got under, you've got over, you've got even, you've got odd, and you've got jam. Okay, under is uh, an under front is where the defensive tackle on the strong side is in a one technique. Keep in mind, it's a number system attached to the offensive line uh, from the defense's perspective. Zero is directly over the center. Two is directly over the guard. Four is directly over the tackle. So the even numbers are attached to the offensive lines lining directly up over their nose. Okay. And then you've got the odd numbers in between. So a one tech, if the center over top of the center is a zero tech, the one tech is going to be the A gap on each side of the center in between the center and the guard. And you, of course, you've even got eyes that are attached as well, meaning you could go two eye, which is the inside eye of the guard. Okay. I don't want to get too confusing here, but just trying to explain what these fronts are. Uh, in a one technique and the D tackle on the weak side is in a three tech. So you've got a one tech and a three tech on the weak side. So on the strong side, you've got a one tech on the weak side. You've got a three tech. That's an under front and over front and over front is where the D tackle on the strong side, meaning the tight end side is in a three tech and the D tackle on the weak side is in a one tech in an even you've got an even front is where both defensive tackles are covering both guards. So they're both just playing straight two techs. That's what you call an even. You're, you're, both your D tackles are over top of the guards. And odd is in an odd front, it's a typical for, you know, like three down defenses. And it's where, I'm trying to think how to say it, it's where a nose tackle kind of plays heads up, shaded on the center instead of the typical one technique. All right. And you'll often hear like guard, uh, guard bubbles and uh, uncovered, of course, with odd fronts, right? And then you got jam, a jam front is a type of odd front where where basically you've got both guards. Um, they're covered up, covered without gaps, and where the edges uh, are are covered, essentially making it making it five down linemen, if you will, right? And you're seeing a lot of defenses go to more five down fronts, right? So if you if you carried on into that, right? There's a number system on the defensive side that allows for these instances to be like communicated extremely quick. Twenties or an under front, 50s are an over front, 30s are an odd front, 40s are a, uh, an even front, 5 is means the Sam's on the ball, a 7 means the will is on the ball, and the 9, all backers are off the ball. So when they holler out a 9, it means the backers are off the ball, a 5 means a Sam is on the ball, a 7 means a will is on the ball. Let's talk about that for just a second. Let's assume it's a 4-3 defense. Very rare you see 4-3 defenses now with so many sub packages, but let's just play along here, okay? Your Mike linebacker is your middle linebacker. Your will linebacker is on the weak side of the formation, opposite the tight end side. That's why they call it a will. I don't know why they don't say weak, but they say will, all right? And you got a Sam, which is the strong side linebacker, okay? So you've got a Mike, a Sam, and a will. The Mike's the middle, the Sam's the strong, the will's the weak. All right. If all backers are off the line of scrimmage, then the play call will be nine. All right. Or the identification would be nine. 
And then a three is uh, where you've got backers walked up on both edges. All right. So some examples of these combinations, right, is a 57 front. 50s, right, means an over front. Seven means the will linebackers on the ball. So a 57 front means you've got an overlook and you've got the will on the line of scrimmage. A 35 front, an odd front with the Sam on the ball. Remember, the Sam is identified by the number five. That's a 35 front. A 49 front, an even front with all backers off the ball because, of course, the nine means all backers are off the ball. A 25 front is an under front with the Sam on the ball. And, and you know, basically – I'm not going to sit here and pretend to understand every nuance of the game, but these are the things that these big, stupid offensive linemen that everybody likes to refer to them as, they have to understand all of these fronts that are being thrown at them constantly. So when you see someone make a mistake, a mistake, it's really, really easy for us as fans to go, man, what a moron. What an idiot. And it's, <laughs> I, I see it happening. I feel bad. I'm going, man, how in the world do they keep up with all this stuff? Like, how does it, how does it even happen, right? And, and the reason I wanted to outline that for you guys is because that's everything that goes in, into really duo itself, right? What we just talked about. Like, it's a totally different mindset. You're working double teams vertically up the field to try to get displacement. And if the wheel takes one step to the left, then the entire play changes. If the wheel seals off to the right, the entire play changes. The running back has got to be reading the backers, and trusting and understanding their offensive line is going to be in the exact correct spot that they need them to be to make this play successful. And that's what makes Aaron Jones so freaking valuable. You know, the fact that he is so involved in the passing game, but we've seen so many times, guys, him hit a wall in the backfield and there not be nothing and bounce it out more specifically against the Cowboys, I think it was two or three years ago, and just take it up the sideline for whatever, 30, 40, 50 yards like it wasn't nothing. It was a broken play, right? Because the offensive line either got outmaneuvered, maybe one guy on that offensive line made a mistake. And, and when people read PFF grades, this is why the tape matters as well. You guys know I'm a big, big believer, a big fan in PFF. Okay. I love PFF. But I also go in with the understanding of, you know, look, I don't, they probably don't know every little aspect of what's going on in that play, nor should they, nor should anyone other than the offense, right? But when you see their run grades low, people look at PFF and they bash it and go, well, Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Jones averaged over five yards a carry, but it's showing their offensive line sucked at run blocking. Yeah, that can happen. When you've got a great running back, you know, they've got a lot of people on staff at PFF. I, I personally think Chris Collinsworth has done an excellent job. I love how people like to bash Chris Collinsworth. Dude's on the top five, top 50 list of Cincinnati Bengals all-time team one of the most highly recruited wide receivers uh, uh, the year he came out. And it's a funny story on how Al Davis um, basically passed up on him for someone else. Um, trying to, If I can remember the story, I'll tell it. The way I remember the story, Al Davis met with his first-round pick and said, man, there he is, the fastest man. And I can't remember what state it was. It might have been Florida, the fastest, the fastest guy in, uh, in Florida uh, this year. And the and literally this was that's what it was. Michael Lombardi told this story, and he said that that receiver responded, said, "Yeah, thank God that white boy stumbled off the line." And he said Al Davis was pissed. He was like, "Who who was it that stumbled off?" The, and he went back and combed through the information, and he the only reason that guy was the fastest guy in the state, I believe it was Florida, it may have been another state. The only reason he was the fastest receiver in Florida that year 
was because a guy, the guy who was actually the fastest and projected to be the fastest stumbled off the line running his 40. That guy, that receiver, that young player was actually Chris Collinsworth. So people who like to bash Collinsworth like he sucked at football and now he sucks as an announcer and he don't know what he's doing with PFF, I don't know, I respectfully disagree. But he's got everybody on staff looking for these things. You can bet your butt he's got someone when they're grading the tape that that is familiar with the offensive line play to pick up. The first thing you can before you can grade an offensive lineman is is it outside zone? Is it inside zone? Is it pin and pull? Is it duo? Is it counter? Is it power? Is it draw? Is it some other scheme that we don't even have a name for yet? Because people like Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, uh, Kyle Shanahan, anyone else is, is constantly – constantly in the lab trying to scheme up another advantage. And, again, the reason Duo took off, in my opinion, was because so many defenses said, all right, the 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 explosive play in the running game is outside zone. That that became very evident three, four, five years ago, right? So they had to come up with a way to stop it, right? So what did they do to stop it? They started playing wide technique. And when I say wide technique, a lot of times I mention wide nine, meaning the outside edge defenders are way out wide. That is a big component. But another thing is the 404. It's actually 4-I-O-4-I, but they call it 404. I'm, I'm trying to think of what the name was for it. They had a nickname for it as well. Tight. I believe it was tight. And it wasn't T-I-G-H-T. It was T-I-T-E. And that's when you've got a 4-I. Think of your three defensive linemen. You've got a 4-I, a zero, and a 4-I. That's called tight. Right. They utilize that to stop the outside zones because they could cut. Basically, that four eye could knock off the cutback lane while an edge defender is forcing the running back to cut it back inside. There's a lot of things. So so what happened when teams started to catch on to the outside zone? They started to lean on duo. Why? Because now they're they're lined up in these wide fronts. And now you're playing an inside duo, which gets mixed up with inside zone all the time. You know, when I read these numbers off these percentages that that people that I trust presented to me outside zone, 36% inside zone, 23%. I would not be surprised. Well, let me go ahead and say duo, duo 11%. I would not be surprised if they got some of those incorrect, the 23% inside zone and the 11% duo, because it's so hard to read. And unless you really focus on the running backs footwork and the footwork based off of did the, did the play side guard and the play side center uh, have correct leverage on the um, on the double team on their way to the mock, the wheel, or the Sam, that determines whether the running back actually made the right footwork move, right? And we don't even know if the offensive line got it correct on the play call. But all you can do is, is compile the information and try to make the best judgment possible, okay? Um, but that's why they went more to duo because it's like, okay, from an offensive perspective, all right, you guys want to line up in this 404 tight? You want to take away the edge? Perfect. We're going to smash you in the freaking face with duo with, with like we said, vertical power, downhill, fast hitting, gap scheme, double team base, no puller, no BS. Go get vertical, get vertical displacement, move the D-line down the field, branch off, and attack the linebackers with double teams. That's how duo really spilled into this Matt LaFleur offense. Well, guess what happens now? Why were why were the Packers? Think about this, guys. Why were the Packers giving up almost six yards of carry on first down runs? Because we're playing a lot of edge contain, trying to protect against the explosive plays with outside zone, right? And you know, <clears throat> the outside zone or the the explosive play conversation. I'll end it with this. It gets kind of heated 
and it gets comical to me. Um, I've had people tweet at me saying, oh, you're, you're stupid if you think explosive plays are that important. If, you, if you're just going to go out and throw bombs every play, and I'm going, you, you please learn how to think. Like, there's not a coach in the league that comes out and goes, all right, guys, we need explosive plays. Let's just chuck it down the freaking field. No, they're, they're designing route concepts and running plays that puts them in the best position to get to those explosive plays. It doesn't mean you chuck and duck to the, to the, to the deep receiver just because you got explosive plays. That's so stupid. Like, <laughs> you've, you've got to remove all the bias. You've got to remove the hatred for – Insert the name of this player. It was Aaron Rodgers. Now it's David Bakhtiari. And I'm going, okay, now, now the 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 cool thing, the popular thing is to hate David Bakhtiari, arguably one of the best left tackles in the history of the Green Bay Packers, um, simply because I don't even want to get into it. Anyway, let's all challenge each other to try to learn the game at a little bit different level. I want the Green Bay Packers, and more importantly, more not more importantly, more specifically, I should say, the PackerNet listeners, to be the most educated, most fundamentally sound Packers fans in the entire freaking world. That we don't just shout off at the mouth when we're emotional, and we, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not telling anybody how to fan, but I'm just saying that when when a situation like last year arises. It ain't that yeah we're pissed that something didn't go our way, but we understand why it didn't go that way. And we understand the adjustments that are going to be made within the coaching staff and what they're trying to do and just offer a little bit of grace in that regard. And it starts with Jordan Love. You've got, we've got to, I don't want to say curb the enthusiasm, but we got to be realistic on everything that goes into playing quarterback. And, and I know it's hard for some people to acknowledge everything that Aaron Rodgers actually did on a snap-by-snap basis. They only want to focus on the negative things, right? Um, but until we understand everything that goes into that, then we can't we can't give Jordan Love a fair shake. And that should be the goal this year, is to understand you've got a guy. This isn't Clayton saying the right side of the offensive line is weak. And I love what he said is like some people look at the tape and, and, and they don't know exactly where to look. I understand everything about that scheme. I know exactly where to look. And I'm telling you, Josh Myers is a little off in his run blocking. You go to PFF. I know Chris Collinsworth's a moron, and the people he's hired, they're morons. But what did they do? They graded that right side as bad pass block or bad run blockers, right? Josh Myers, bad run blocker. John Runyon, bad run blocker. Now, Ryan's done an excellent job on his pod highlighting, well, it's obvious the Packers, quote-unquote, have a top. They love pass blockers, right? They're going to prioritize pass blocking. I don't think that's a bad thing, but – to just sit here and assume, okay, well, <laughs> the running back averaged five yards a carry. The, the run blocking must have been great. No, it's deeper than that. And, and you can't begin to look deeper than that until you acknowledge that you've got all these run schemes and and everything that goes into it. Like I said, ace, doom, tram, quad, sort, lane, lane, sig, secure, fan, all of these different line calls. Man, it's a complex game. That's why we love it. That's absolutely why we love it. So that's pretty much it, guys. I just wanted to kind of dive into what Bulaga said and kind of set the stage for training camp from an offensive line perspective and just give a little glimpse into the complexity that goes into playing offensive lines. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. If you, and I want to apologize on the front side. There's a little bit of dead air there. My mic was muted. Hopefully, obviously, we got you know uh, several people still here in the chat and uh, and watching online. So. Uh, they, uh, they stuck around long enough to catch the rest of it, but we'll try to get that cleaned up before we get it out in podcast form. And, and we do appreciate everyone hanging out with us. 
who are listening on the pod, uh, making us a part of your day. We really, really appreciate it. So we're going to get out of here. We'll be back. we got several live streams coming up this weekend. Uh, really, really busy weekend plan. We're going to do our weekly recap tomorrow. If everything goes planned, it'll be me, Jacob, and Ryan. Uh, we'll have people calling in, all that good stuff. But training camp's right around the corner. Um, I've actually got it. Let me pull it up real quick here. I've got the training camp schedule um, just to kind of give you guys a glimpse. If I can find it, here it is. So this week coming up, you got the shareholders meeting on Monday, I believe it is, uh, July 24th at 11 a.m. And then the veterans report to camp on Tuesday and then open practice on Wednesday, July 26th. We're just days away from open practice. And here's what's cool, guys. For those of you watching on YouTube and Twitter, if you slide right over here, guys, we're, we're a little over two weeks away from the first preseason game. Football's back, baby. I love it. That's why I don't buy into the whole we got 50 days till football, 40 days till football camp. No, no, no. Football starts when training camp starts in Green Bay. That's just how it is. So appreciate everybody's time. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, here on this uh, Saturday morning. Hopefully that stuff made sense. If you have any questions, fire them off. If I, As always, if I don't have the answer to the question, I will tell you I don't know that answer. I'm not going to allow my ego to get in the way. I am still learning just like you are. We'll find the answer and we'll find it together. Appreciate everybody hanging out. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back. Go. For Jordan Love. 37. Here he is throwing in the middle. It's caught by Watson. He's got great speed. Turning the corner. Christian Watson down the sideline. And he will score. Whoa. Hang on. Love to Watson. This one is the stunner. You basically feel like, all right, this Eagles team sort of has this thing under control. And then Christian Watson hits the Jets again. Six touchdowns now in the last three games. He is really something. When he gets in the open field and running, that was some throw by Jordan Love, too.